Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome to AOA, Agriculture of America, here today. We are happy to have you with us for another show as we broadcast live from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and uh, coming up here on today's show, we have a jam-packed lineup for you once again. We'll talk to Zippy Duvall, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll also talk with the president of RCAF, Brett Kenzie, coming up here later in the show. We'll take a look at some of the latest news headlines in agriculture as well to wrap things up today. So looking forward to all of that. But joining us to kick things off right away here on the program, pleased to have with us South Dakota Congressman Dusty Johnson. And uh, Congressman, it's good to see you again. How are you? Well, I'm always in a good mood when I'm at Dakota Fest. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, beautiful weather for day one, day two, a little windy, but you know what? Hey, we'll, we'll take it. It's always uh, it's always fun to be out here on the grounds, and I'm sure for you, talking to your constituents here uh, each and every year, you stop by Dakota Fest. Well, and I only live two miles from here, yeah. so it's yeah. a very, very easy commute. Uh, way better than hopping in a plane and flying off to D.C., I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, speaking of D.C., I know you guys uh, on the August recess, but you guys have a lot of work you've been doing and more work in front of you. Farm bills, a hot topic right now. And we've heard from House uh, Ag Chair G.T. Thompson. He even said as of Monday, too, that he doesn't expect us to get a farm bill done by the September 30th deadline. He's thinking more end of the calendar year. Is that kind of what you are hearing from your fellow uh, members of Congress right now? Yeah, I think that's uh, G.T.'s got an accurate assessment there. Uh, maybe break it down a little bit. I do think we'll have text. Uh, probably in three or four weeks. Uh, we've been working on uh, some text, and I think we're getting closer, at least on the House side. And then I think uh, two or three weeks after that, I think you can expect some action in committee. I would yeah. think the Farm Bill would pass out on a strongly bipartisan basis. And then I think two or three weeks after that, I think you would probably have uh, action on the floor. Now, of course, that's only halfway home. Yeah. Then you got to have a Senate product. And uh, once the Senate has that done, then obviously we'll sit down and it'll take a few weeks to uh, try to square the differences between the two versions. So GT's right end of the calendar year to get all that done well and you know you mentioned there obviously you guys can only control what you're doing in the house uh, senate it's a different story there and you got to bring everything together and and confer it and get it all put together nicely i mean as you've talked to folks around the country and as you talk with your fellow members there in congress what are some of the sticking points challenges we always know that a farm bill year is a heavy lift year yeah, although I would tell you that uh, the last farm bill and the farm bill before it, I think, uh, have generally done a pretty good job in making sure that producers have the risk management tools that they need, yeah. uh, that we're making the right investments in conservation. So I don't think we are looking to have an evolutionary or a revolutionary farm bill. And that, in some respects, is going to make it easier. I mean, when you look at the top priorities, for me, it'd be making sure we're protecting crop insurance, number two, but probably have a little bit more of an emphasis on working lands conservation. Not necessarily to come at the expense of CRP, but that we know there are tremendous practices that producers can have on those farms and ranches that can help with soil health and with water quality and with habitat. And and, and maybe let's try to incentivize those a little bit more. Clearly, the, the flash point, though, is going to be, as it often is, uh, nutrition. Yeah. 80% of the farm bill's nutrition. That number has grown a lot in the last decade. And that, that'll be some Republican versus Democrat snarls. I think in the end, we'll be able to work them out and get a good product done. 
And I know we've had some talk about the error rates in the SNAP program. Some folks are not happy with the high number of that. So I know there's maybe a little bit of uh, figuring out to do with that on the nutrition side. Yeah, I mean, on the nutrition side, you really get disputes in one or two buckets. You know, one bucket would be kind of technical effectiveness, things mm -hmm. like error rates, how do we drive those down, things like transparency, uh, you know, things like uh, making sure good IT infrastructure uh, helps those programs run effectively. The second bucket is, bucket is really the more controversial policy discussions, sure. like uh, who should be required to work and for how many hours if they're going to be on SNAP. I've been a big proponent uh, for work requirements, uh, and the work requirements aren't just work, it's also training or education or even volunteering for 20 hours hours a week. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in them. Not for everybody, not for pregnant women and not for the disabled and you know, not for people with young dependents at home. But I, I, I think those that second bucket, it, it will we, there are probably still a lot more stories to be written about that second bucket yeah. between now and the end of the farm bill. We're talking with South Dakota Congressman Dusty Johnson here on AOA. Congressman, uh, looking at some of the recent legislation on foreign ownership of farmland. Uh, get us up to speed. What's the latest with everything we've seen go through uh, went through Congress here this summer? Yeah, I'm on the Select Committee on China. Uh, it's a really important group, and we've been doing really important work. And what we've heard from witness after witness before our committee is that China has a deliberate and thoughtful plan to gain coercive economic power over the rest of the world. Yeah. And so they have increased their holdings of foreign-owned farmland by a thousand percent in the last seven years. They've increased their holdings of uh, agricultural processing facilities outside of China by a thousand percent in the last seven years. Now, those things are not uh, in America by and large. Their footprint in America is still relatively modest on the farmland side, but they're gobbling it up in Africa and Southeast Asia and South America. And so we are getting a lot of momentum in a bipartisan way for uh, the bill that I have with Elise Stefanik from New York that would just flat out ban the Chinese Communist Party and their partners from uh, buying farmland or egg processing. I, I think we're going to get that done this Congress. Fantastic. Uh, any other thoughts? Anything else you're working on? I know uh, we've obviously seen supply chains, uh, some of the tension there ease within the supply chain a little bit after COVID. But I know you've uh, been a part of doing some work on that as well. Yeah, we passed at the end of last year, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, and, and it really did help the system get healed. All of the, the major ocean carriers are foreign owned. They were not doing right by American agricultural exports. 60% of the containers that went back to Asia last year went back empty at a time when we still had uh, American ag products rotting on the dock. That has largely worked itself out uh, it, it, for a number of reasons. But I would say about a quarter of the reason is the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. And it's just good to see that every once in a while, Washington, D.C. can come together in a strong bipartisan way and uh, actually do some help rather than do some harm. So it was, uh, I, I was, it, it, it was very rewarding to be the leader of that effort. And, and we're going to keep working on it. We got about a minute here. Anything else? Anything final that you're uh, thinking about here as you're on the August recess and obviously getting a chance to talk with you with farmers and ranchers here throughout the state? I Well, I would tell you last week I talked at length to uh, Trade Ambassador Kathleen Ty because yeah. a, a lot of producers continue to talk to me about how do we get more market access? How sure. do we get more market access? We know that when there's a level playing field, man alive, uh, American beef, beans, uh, corn, dairy, uh, listen, we just, we went out. We're so much better. And... Uh, I, 
I felt better after talking to the ambassador. You know, clearly a big, shiny new trade deal is not likely to happen in the sure. next year or two. Yeah. But her team does seem uh, more focused than maybe I appreciated and on trying to get a, a large number of smaller wins. Uh, that is, that is, I think, going to be good news for uh, the American ag producer. It's something we'll have to watch. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll continue to watch the work you do uh, in Congress with your fellow congressmen and women and senators. And we thank you for the time here on AOA today. I know you got a busy day here at Dakota Fest, but uh, always appreciate uh, getting a chance to speak with you. Yeah, the biggest challenge today is making sure that I get both a steak and a pork sandwich down my gullet, <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, listen, if that's my biggest problem, that's a good one. That is a good problem to have. <laughs> and I, I think I'm right there with you. I'm going to have to go find one as well. Congressman Dusty Johnson from South Dakota joining us here today on AOA. We appreciate the time with him here as always. Coming up, we'll talk to Brett Kenzie with RCAF and Zippy Duvall with the American Farm Bureau. All that and more is up next here on AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. 
We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today as we are broadcasting live at Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Joining us now, I was able to uh, pull him off the street, so to speak, here <laughs> as he was walking by. <laughs> I actually I knew he was going to be here and was able to snag some time with him. The president of RCAF, Brett Kenzie, is with us here. And Brett, it's good to catch up with you again. How are you, sir? Good, good, great to be here on a cool day at Dakota, or a reasonably cool day at Dakota Fest. You know, we'll take a reasonably cool day at Dakota Fest. I, I've been here before when it's 100 and 105 and we're all sweating, but we're still enjoying a, a good Midwestern farm show, and that's what we're getting here this week. Let's, uh, let's dive in. We got issues to talk about in not only the cattle industry, but just the farming and ranching world in general. I think top of mind, everyone's talking about this farm bill. We've been hearing about September 30th, that deadline, not going to make it, it sounds like here. We're talking now more end of the calendar year, it feels like. So what are your thoughts? What's our cast position? Where things stand with the farm bill? What are some of the discussions you're hearing from fellow ranchers across the country? Where do things stand right now with this farm bill? Well, I mean, I'm really excited rolling into it. I think that we're going to have a lot of really insightful topics and, and good debate going forward. Yeah, we're not going to make that initial deadline, but Washington, D.C. is good at that, at, at postponing. Uh, real excited for the chance at MCOOL. Uh, it's really, you know, we've, we've had the bill on the Senate side. Now we've got the bill on the House side. So, I mean, it's going to be front and center. That might not be the the singularly most important issue but i think it's the one that brings producers and consumers together and it's time to get that done well let's talk a little bit more about m cool i mean that's something we've heard a lot about over the last couple of years and i mean you know getting that country of origin labeling i feel like it's very important i would agree with you because you know at end of the day if you don't know where something is coming from, if you don't know if it came from Brazil or Argentina and was packaged here in the U.S. and then slapped a product of the USA label on it, I mean, that's, that, to me, that's that's a little scary to not know that, Brad. Well, it is, and especially with the smallest cow herd in 60 years, we're probably going to be looking at more imports to fulfill our domestic demand until we can rebuild our herds but i mean mm -hmm. most importantly we should give americans we should put them to the front of the line when it comes to filling the the grocery store shelves in this country i mean we just we can't be ashamed to be pro-american and pro proud of what we produce in this country and you know, I think it even opens up a bigger discussion. You know, we're, we're also for checkoff reform. Mm -hmm. uh, the OFF Act, it doesn't end the checkoff. It just reforms how it's handled, you know, creates law for its uh, oversight and administration and activity. But, I mean, I, I think that if we get that under control with the OFF Act, if we can get that passed, then maybe we can start talking about a pro-America checkoff. You know, our checkoff can already promote... American beef overseas, mm -hmm. but it can't promote it, you know, on our own, on our own shores. So, sure. you know, there, it, 
we, we just keep inching forward, but yeah, we're just relieved to finally have that front and center. Uh, I think uh, Packers and Stockyards Enforcement's another big one. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of the things that I hear the most out in the country is we've got books full of laws. Why don't we enforce what we've got? And I think that the Packers and Stockyards Act is a good illustration of that. You mentioned the OFF Act, and I'd like you to expand upon that checkoff reform a little bit more. What What is the big sticking point from your perspective? Is it uh, more transparency needed? What What? Why? Why look at the checkoff reform under this OFF Act, Brett? Well, there have been a lot of promises made over the years about audits, about compliance audits more specifically, about chances to uh, have votes on the checkoff. And, you know, I'll be completely honest. I think we need to check off worse now than we ever had, ever have in history. With You know, it was, it was created to drive demand for beef, which would thereby increase the price of cattle. But, you know, the checkoff really needs to become an offensive tool in this war against beef. But then back to the specifics of the, of the OFF Act, I think you're seeing a lot of pushback because... I'll just say it. A lot, a lot of this checkoff money has been used for lobbying by organizations. And if you're in that organization, that's great. But if you're not, if you stand in opposition to that organization's policies, then you feel like you're contributing a dollar ahead to shoot yourself in the foot. You know? And then we can tie that back to MCOOL in 2014. The Federation funneled money to USMEF, US Meat Export Federation, who then actively lobbied against MCOOL. And, and that's what we're getting at. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of these farm bills' priorities, whether it's MCOOL, whether it's PS enforcement uh, to get rid of some of these captive supplies and absolutely end unpriced contracts, or the OFF Act, or, you know, we, we're against mandatory ID. We think that Mm -hmm. that money and effort would be better spent at restoring our import standards to where they were pre-NAFTA because, let's face it, quality is quality. And and it needs to be a fair metric. But any of these different things that we're for, if we get them exactly the way we want them, which, who knows, that's a slim chance, but it's possible, it will not end anybody's business model. It will only create a more clear, transparent industry. And let's face it, competition is is what drives innovation. Uh, A competitive market is what allows new people into the marketplace. If you can have a market that rewards you based on merit of production, Mm -hmm. uh, the smallest operator can compete with the biggest operator on merit of production. Brett Kenzie with RCAF, president of RCAF, joining us here today on AOA. Brett, you mentioned uh, mandatory ID, I know RFID tags, those things. That's another issue that you guys have been following. What's the latest there? Have we seen any movement on that front? Well, I think movement is coming. Uh, uh, Representative Harriet Hageman from Wyoming is going to make that an issue. Uh, We're going to hear that. We're going to hear from her. Thursday morning at the RCAF convention here this week on the 17th, I believe it is. And I think that we'll know more about that. But uh, yeah, we just, in this day and age, for people to wonder why cattle producers would not want to register their cattle with the federal government is kind of laughable.
A lot of issues we're watching very closely for sure. You mentioned the convention. I want to talk about that in a second. A anything else you're watching closely? I know we've heard some talk about the Grassley Fisher bill here and not getting tied to the farm bill, so it sounds like that's going to be a standalone issue in itself. So that's, a, that's another topic. I mean, there's so many different things going on in D.C. right now in regards to the cattle industry. I know I'm forgetting some of them, Brett. Well, you know, we, we talked a little bit here earlier about this panel that I was on. And, you know, a lot of different, well, all three major cattle organizations, presidents are from South Dakota. Yeah. And, you know, we can get on a stage, you know, Todd Wilkinson wasn't here this morning, but we've been around each other before. And we can have, we can share these perspective back, perspectives back and forth to try to find a way forward, you know, and, and especially we need to be doing it in front of an audience, taking questions from the public whom we serve. But that's the thing is, is that that is a process. And even though it's uncomfortable, I think that that's where we bear fruit and finding the proper way forward. So in terms of Grassley and Fisher, I don't know any of the details of that, to be honest with you. But I would just remind people that we, we should be glad when we don't come in with year old preconceived notions about what's going on. You know, bring your principles, you know, br identify your problems, bring your mm -hmm. principles, and let's find an, an American constitutional way forward to solve these problems. And to me, I, I'm not a fan of the Compromise Bill or the Price Discovery and Transparency Act because I don't want to give USDA that much power over my markets. I think the market is what needs to have the power, not anybody mm -hmm. who is regulating the market. You know, that brings up one more topic, mandatory sure. price reporting. There are people yeah. that want to renew that untouched. And RCAF, we've, uh, we're looking at policy that would maybe require the reporting packers who are required to report to mandatory price reporting that they should actually be filing written or digital transaction records for their cattle procurement. That would allow for way more accurate tracking of prices and value and uh, maybe even provide for some auditing mm -hmm. to make sure we're not getting special deals or under the table deals. Sure. That, that came from an RCAF member and I think that, you know, we do it with grain. If I buy 10,000 bushels of corn, I sign a contract, mm -hmm. send them a copy, they send me a copy and it's known what the terms are. So, yep, lots of things going on. There are. Well, real quick, we mentioned the RCAF convention a little bit ago. I know that's coming up here over the next couple of days in Rapid City, South Dakota. Where can folks learn more about that? Uh, they can go to rcafconvention.com. Yeah, we really invite people to come out. We've got, if you go to that rcafconvention.com, there's a link in there to expand the agenda. And wow, we have world-class speakers. We're not just telling you what RCAF thinks. We're trying to educate you on a lot of big picture issues and the board and staff RCAF will be learning at the convention right along with the attendees. We look forward to having more conversations in the future. Brett Kenzie, president of RCAF, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Hey, thank you, Jesse. All right, up next, American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall here on AOA. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. 
Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network, broadcasting live from Dakota Fest. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains right now are mostly positive. Soybeans are leading the charge higher. Corn is up a few pennies while wheat is mixed. Chicago and Minneapolis higher while Kansas City is just slightly weaker. House Agriculture Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson says 2023 Farm Bill will be later than expected. Congress will have to extend temporarily the lifespan of the 2018 Farm Bill because it'll miss the September 30th deadline for enacting its successor. Now, this is the first direct acknowledgement by one of the four corners of farm policy, the leaders of the House and Senate Agriculture Committees, that the 2023 Farm Bill will be late. Neither committee has presented a first-round version of the panoramic legislation, which can take months or even years to complete. The 2023 Farm Bill is expected to be the most expensive ever, with chapters on commodity subsidies, SNAP, ag research, rural development, crop insurance, food aid, export promotion, farm credit, forestry, and land stewardship. We also saw another attack from Russia overnight. Russian drones attack grain facilities at one of the Ukrainian river ports on the Danube River overnight. That's raising concerns once again of tightening supplies and food grains on the world market. Now, Ukraine's ports on the Danube accounted for a quarter of Ukraine's grain exports prior to the end of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, but they have since become the primary option for exporting grain. Russia, however, appears bent on preventing that from being the case. Russia is essentially implementing a de facto blockade of Ukraine to prevent it from exporting food grains via water routes. Latvia stated this week that they could begin exports of Ukraine grain this fall, with volumes approaching 1 million metric tons per month. However, the grain would still have to be shipped through Poland, which has different rail gauges than either Latvia or Ukraine, adding to logistical complications and higher costs. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Rist. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA. And joining us now here at Dakota Fest, pleased to have with us the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duval, is with us here today. Zippy, it is uh, great to talk with you again. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me here on a beautiful day here in South Dakota and, and Mitchell at this great uh, farm show and hope everybody's uh, getting ready to come out and see all the equipment here. Yeah, a lot of equipment, a lot of uh, producers walking around the grounds and their families out here. And, you know, there's nothing like a good old-fashioned American farm show just during the summer months where folks can get out and about, see all the latest innovations and much more. This is, I think this is just what part of the fabric of rural America, isn't it, Zippy? It is. I call it kicking tires. Go kick the tires <laughs> before you buy something, you know. And here you can see... Every make and model there is, and uh, uh, be able to make a wise decision uh, for your operation. And a lot to learn here, a lot of new cutting-edge stuff. There is a lot to learn here. And I know you've been uh, hearing and, and learning a lot from producers and their wants and needs when it comes to a farm bill as you've been traveled around the country. Let's start our conversation there. Obviously, there, there's talk that we might not get this done by the September 30th deadline. We've heard from Congressman G.T. Thompson that he's trying on the House side, Senate side. They're not so optimistic, but still thinking maybe by the end of the year we'll get this done. So what's the latest you're hearing as far as the farm bill timing? Is it is it like that? Are we looking at maybe by the end of the calendar year, not so much by September 30th? Yeah, it looks like we're getting closer to having something near the end of the calendar year, and we'll continue to push hard to anything uh, past the end of the year is not acceptable to us. We we got to have a farm bill. We got to have it now. It's got to be bipartisan, and we got to make sure we take care of the uh, the nuts and bolts of the farm bill that's important to not just agriculture, but to uh, uh, the, the people that take advantage or, or the people that need the nutrition part of it. Yeah, there's a lot wrapped in a farm bill, and that's what makes it kind of a heavy lift. And you got to go through the negotiations that we do every five years, and. You know, the nutrition side, SNAP, is one piece of that puzzle a puzzle that people uh, use that's in the farm bill. But obviously, things like crop insurance and different programs that affect our farmers and ranchers are, are all tied into the farm bill as well. And I know that's what I've been hearing from a lot of farmers and ranchers across the country is they want to protect things like crop insurance in this farm bill. Is that some of the same you're hearing? Yeah, on top of our list uh, is to protect expand and make sure we support crop insurance. It's the cornerstone of our last few farm bills and our farmers, it's where they can go and take on that risk management product and, and have uh, skin in the game themselves. And uh, it's important for us to not just to uh, uh, stand behind it and fund it, it's also important to continue to build on it because everyone out there farming, whatever they might be growing, needs some kind of a, a risk management tool that they can use to protect their farmer and be able to be sustainable in the future. Does it feel like it could be a bit of a heavy lift as you have that, not necessarily a battle, but the differences between northern producers, southern producers, and their legislators trying to get certain things in for crop insurance in the farm bill? It feels like that you always have that you know, divide between northern growers and southern growers. You, you do, but it's not as bad as it used to be, and I think everybody understands the tool is there for everyone. and and all sizes and all different commodities and we need just to continue to support it and make sure it's there and uh, for our farmers to take advantage of you know i think where where our, our biggest struggle this year is is that uh, we have 260 
congressmen and senators that's never debated or voted on a farm bill. That's a great point. Uh, and and that, that's the biggest challenge we face, trying to inform and educate half of Congress about why the farm bill is important to them. That's the reason we have a new campaign out there. It's called the Farm Bill for American Families and for Our Sustainable Future. Uh, because we talk about uh, not just the nutrition part of it that provides nine uh, billion meals across the country. We also talk about risk management tools that make sure our farmers can uh, continue farming through a natural disaster. It talks about the jobs that it creates, uh, 46 million jobs across America uh, that agriculture supplies. It talks about uh, uh, our research and development dollars to keep us on the cutting edge so that we can be more sustainable and friendly to the environment as we move forward. And then it talks about the nutrition program, about how, how, how important it is to continue to help those people when they need a helping hand in their, that part of their life. But all in all, we really want people to understand that this is a piece of legislation that touches every American's life. And in doing that, we provide national security that no other other piece of legislation does. Uh, national security in a way that we can feed ourselves, we can feed our American families, we can feed our army, and that makes, makes uh, our country more secure by being able to do that. Because if we ever depend yeah. on another country to feed us, then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be under their control and do what they ask us, tell us to do. Yeah, we would definitely be in trouble. We're talking today with Zippy Duvall, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, joining us here at Dakota Fest. And Zippy, let's talk right to repair. I know uh, American Farm Bureau signed a few different MOUs uh, with uh, ag companies here. And this has been something that we've been following along closely. And, and just talk about, you know, why has American Farm Bureau kind of been a, a leader and a driver in this arena? I have to think, you know, giving farmers the ability to work on their own equipment and that right to repair is, is so huge, I have to think, Zippy. Yeah, it, it really is a big accomplishment for our organization. But i got to give the grassroots of this organization, the farmers and ranchers, the credit for it. They're the ones that came to our national convention and says, you, our American Farm Bureau, you want us to find, we want you to find a solution with the manufacturers and let us not try to stay away from uh, national legislation that would put in all kind of regulations and really uh, make it difficult for us. But go find a solution. And we got with uh, several of the uh, manufacturers and was successful in coming up with this memorandum of understanding that's going to allow our farmers to be able to fix their products, get the tools to fix it with, and take it to any uh, a dealer, not just dealer, but any repair shop across America that, so that they can work on their equipment. You know, our farmers sometimes, they're four or five hours from a dealership. Sure. You know, and when you got a piece of machinery out there and you're in the middle of harvest or plant or whatever it might be, you got to go to work, and we ain't got time to... Uh, to wait on somebody four or five hours away from us. So we think it's a great accomplishment. And I think one of the biggest things a lot of people don't understand is we're going to have um, uh, bi-yearly meetings with all those mm -hmm. uh, manufacturers uh, searching out for some of the problems that we may be having in the memorandum of understanding, finding solutions so that our farmers don't run into any roadblocks with it. Uh, I think our farmers are, are excited about it, and we're very excited about playing a major role in it. 
Now, if I understand things with the MOUs correctly, I mean, the, the work that American Farm Bureau has done looking nationally, but I know there's been some state legislation as well, Colorado, I believe Minnesota in there as well. What Are, are there differences there with that that you could speak to, Zippy? Well, what we're asking state legislatures, if they feel the need to do that, make sure that they put our, uh, our, mem- our memorandum of understanding as part of their legislation Okay. so, that, so it doesn't supersede it but if we miss something then it would cover that too but if it can be recognized in those legislation because that's one of the reasons of doing it nationwide is not to have a patchwork of laws all over and nobody really know what kind of rights they have no great bottom line is when you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a piece of machinery and it belongs to you you should be able to fix it that is very very true i couldn't agree more and i appreciate the clarification on that before we run out of time uh, i know other issues uh obviously we had the Sackett EPA case go through the Supreme Court and now we're waiting on EPA to rewrite the WOTUS rule or whatever they come up with. I know there's been some talk that they say they can just make a few sentence changes here and there and everything will be okay. Get us up to speed. What's the latest you're hearing when it comes to EPA's rewrite of the WOTUS rule? Well, this is a battle we've been going, having going on for a long, long time. Yeah. Our campaign on it was ditch the rule and it's probably eight or nine years old now and uh the the Sackett case was a win for us but it was just a battle it wasn't a whole war and now now we're taking that battle the next battles with epa to make sure that those tweaks they make uh don't take advantage of the uh of some of the loopholes that's in there and put us right back where we're at but all in all our farmers need a waters of the u.s rule that's easy to understand it doesn't uh, require them to go hire consultants and lawyers to get through it, and something that it will can live between administration to administration because this ping pong back and forth of administrations and what will waters the U.S. rule. Farmers can't make long-term decisions on their place, and we need to fix that, and that's what we're going to be pushing hard to do. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is we have that ping-pong back and forth. We just had so much uncertainty over the last, say, 10 years that it really makes it hard sometimes to be a good steward of the land and manage your land when you don't know if you know a creek or a stream or something a puddle of water even on your land is under federal jurisdiction or not. That, that's exactly right, right and that's the reason we need to make sure that it's that clear but you know uh, yes american farm bureau led the way in that fight to win the second case but we have so many tremendous friends that were right there with us side by side whether it be cattlemen's associations or whether it be uh, some of the uh, 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 companies that provide service to our to our farmers, we all work together to make that a successful uh, venture with the Sackett campaign. Well, well, we do appreciate your time and being generous with us here at Dakota Fest. I know you're busy talking with uh, farmers and ranchers and making the rounds here in Mitchell, South Dakota. But, uh, Zippy, I do thank you for being on AOA once again with us today, and we'll look forward to uh, talking with you again in the near future. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for what you do, and uh, congratulations on getting this uh, position. Uh, we look forward to working with you. Without people like you, we wouldn't be able to get the word out to our farmers as well as we do. So we appreciate you. Well, thank you very much, Zippy. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right. We'll continue with more coverage here as we broadcast live from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota, here on AOA. We'll be back with more on the way right after the break.
As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. WNAX is out here at Dakota Fest enjoying a great day in Mitchell, South Dakota, and we have teamed up with EPS Buildings. And again with us, I have Mike Madison with the Energy Panel Structure Systems. And Mike, we were just talking a little bit off air about the continued advancement in energy efficient technology, and that is one thing you guys are key on. Absolutely, Keith. You know, for many years, it's been our passion to focus on energy efficient building systems. Uh, Energy codes and standards continue to tighten, and in today's marketplace, none of us can afford to waste money. I think we're all kind of keenly aware of advantages in energy-efficient technology when it comes to uh, some of the advancements in our everyday lives, things like coolers, coffee cups, uh, things that will keep your food hot or cold or things that we pay attention to. But they actually have found their way into construction as well. With our structural insulated panel system, uh, we can build your new home, shop, ag building, or livestock building using the latest technology in a car. 
cost-effective manner. Mike, you had mentioned efficiency. How much more efficient is the method of actual construction over the conventional type of methods? So, Keith, using our structurally insulated panel system, uh, independent testing using the HERS rating system consistently shows that that structurally insulated panel is over 50% more efficient than other standard methods of new construction. And if you're considering building a new shop, a new home, a new ag building that you're going to heat or, heat or cool, you owe it to yourselves to talk to us at EPS Buildings about it. And Mike, you guys are located at spot number 251 here at Dakota Fest. But for those that can't make Dakota Fest, how else can they reach out to find out more? Jump onto our website at epsbuildings.com. We've got a lot of information, a lot of different ideas there. Thanks, Mike, as we team up with EPS Buildings here at Dakota Fest. For WNAX, I'm Keith Lundberg. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen back with you here as we continue our coverage live from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota here on today's program. It's great to catch up with Zippy Duvall, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation there in that last segment. No doubt the farm bill is a big topic, a big issue. House Ag Committee Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson saying again here this week that we're probably going to need an extension referring to the timing of the 2023 farm bill at a listening session in Missouri at the Missouri State Fair. He acknowledged the clock is ticking with the current farm bill set to expire at the end of the fiscal year, September 30th. Now, uh, the House Ag Committee is expected to release a draft version of the bill here, possibly by the end of the month, according to Thompson. But the chairman says, quote, there's a lot of competition for time on the House floor next month with appropriations bills still needing attention as well. However, any continuing resolution would likely have a farm bill extension included. Thompson adds, quote, I hope it's a very short extension if one is needed. Needed. Well, the recent downgrade of U.S. debt by Fitch Rating Service risks a bigger spending fight over USDA and other spending bills in September. Fitch was the second bond rating agency after Standard & Poor's to strip the U.S. of its AAA status, citing fiscal deterioration and 20 years of repeated debt ceiling fights and shutdowns. Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley says it's a message to Congress about this year's debt reduction deal. The McCarthy agreement with Biden uh, is not enough and it's not going to be changed for the next 12 months uh, because I think the die is cast and it's just, uh, I, I think Fitch is trying to wake Congress up. And that has House GOP conservatives ready to take a tougher stand on spending cuts for USDA and possibly authorized spending for SNAP in the Farm Bill. They are digging in more, but I think if you went that route and the Democrats are going to be against it, you're never going to get 218 Republicans to be for it. Now, leaving conservatives unable to get a majority to prevail, but also risking further mayhem as the September 30th fiscal year deadline draws near. But Grassley's targeting his own cuts in the farm bill, starting with the Commodity Credit Corporation. Of course, $8 billion through CC is nothing to be uh, afraid of, but I don't have a figure from CBO on my payment limits. But that usually comes in at several hundred million then I think the rest of it's going to come from food stamps. And I think that's going to be a very major battle between Republicans and Democrats on the committee. Especially on House Ag, where all Democrats signed a letter to Speaker Kevin McCarthy warning there won't be a farm bill if the GOP insists on more cuts to the SNAP program. 
Well, also previously an issue only cattle producers in the wet regions of the Gulf and Pacific Coast had to deal with. Liver flukes have become a worsening problem for beef herds across the country. Dr. Jody Wade, professional services veterinarian with Beringer Ingelheim, provides tips to protect your herd from these costly parasites. Well, the biggest problem with liver flukes and comparing them to other parasites is a lot of our conventional dewormers that we use on a daily basis is not effective against the flukes. So if we've got flukes in that particular operation, then we have to kind of change our protocols on what we're going to deworm those animals with to try to make sure that we get those flukes before they can cause any damage. Despite the liver flukes dependence on a wet environment, Wade says producers still have to worry about them during droughts. There was a lot of confusion on that a few years back, and what we have found out over the years is that the flukes are kind of like cattle. They migrate to water, so if we've got any water sources around there like ponds or anything else, even in drought areas, the flukes and the snails, which is the intermediate host, will stage themselves around those wet areas so they can survive, and, and they're pretty good at it. Now, infected cattle rarely show obvious signs, but an infestation could cause reduced conception rates, lowered feed efficiency, and slowed growth rates. We've started doing some fluke monitoring across the country and the parasitologists have a test now that's called the fluke finder and what we do is we submit some fecals on certain cattle and try to see if we have any of those fluke eggs there. The trouble is they hang out most of the time in the gallbladder and it's not emptying all the time so if that gallbladder is not emptying at the time we take our samples then it's kind of hard to find those eggs but if that gallbladder is emptying at the time then usually we can find fluke eggs in that sample. And Wade explains how producers can treat liver flukes effectively. Well about the only way we can treat them right now is with some of these combination products that has Corsalon in the product with it. An example would be something like an Ivermectin Plus product. And what that is, is, is basically a macrocyclic lactone with Corsalon, which is effective against certain stages of the fluke. The problem is, is, is the Corsalon will only get the adult stages of that fluke. So we don't have anything out there that's really, really good against the immature stages, the juvenile stages, and juvenile stages can cause quite a bit of damage as well. So we have to stay on top of it pretty good with management to make sure that we can try to manage our way through some of those juvenile stages. And if we find flukes there, then we can hit them with the Corsalon products to try to knock those adult stages out. And Wade also adds it's important to discuss your strategic deworming program with your herd veterinarian. Again, that is comments with Dr. Jody Wade, professional services veterinarian with Beringer Ingelheim talking about liver flukes in cattle. And finally, here on today's program, the American Farm Bureau Federation is encouraging producers to participate in the upcoming federal milk marketing order hearings. The USDA is going to hold an FMMO hearing starting August 23rd in Indiana. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Danny Munch says USDA will consider 21 proposals during the hearing. The primary proposal was from National Milk Producers Federation's original proposal made on May 1st. The American Farm Bureau Federation, we got an additional four proposals, and there was a bunch of uh, proposals from numerous other groups that will be considered as well. The USDA is going to allow dairy farmers to testify throughout this hearing. Munch says there are two ways farmers can participate in the hearing. You can either testify in person or virtually. The in-person option, farmers can show up at any time. All they have to do is find a USDA official and they'll have up to 60 minutes to provide context and testimony on any of the issues. If farmers are interested in testifying virtually, they have to pre-register on the Monday of the week they hope to testify on, and then they will be able to testify on that Friday. They expect the hearing to last potentially three to four weeks or more, so farmers will have up to four weeks or more to testify virtually. And virtual registration will be available at ams.usda.gov. Munch says it's important USDA hears from dairy farmers. 
federal milk marketing orders influence how dairy farmers are paid every month and historically has always been based on dairy farmer input. So it's important for dairy farmers to make their voices heard. How has the federal milk marketing order impacted them in the past several years? And how can we advocate for a system that's modernized and more reflective of what the federal milk marketing order system is meant to provide, which is a fair market price for farmers? And again, that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Danny Munch. And again, the federal milk marketing order hearings coming up. USDA is going to have one starting next week in Indiana. All right, that's going to do it for AOA here today as we continue our coverage live from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we will have a conversation with Senator John Thune from South Dakota and Senator Mike Rounds from South Dakota. Looking forward to that and more. Thanks for tuning in here today to AOA, Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.